Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I won't ask who won the game. I know there's a big tennis game on right now, but don't say it because some people are recording the game. So I know it's, we're in the fifth set we were before this, the, this, this started. But if you didn't know that, all right. Sorry, I just blew it, didn't I? Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to church. <coughs> I don't know who won. So we're in the middle of this uh, series in Deuteronomy this summer. We are um, talking about covenant. What does it mean to be in a, a covenant relationship with the God of the universe? What does that look like? Uh, what was it like then? What is it like now? And uh, today we come to really the very heart and soul and strength of the covenant, this uh, most important of all commands. If there was only one passage that you were ever going to read in the book of De- Deuteronomy, this would be Definitely by far the key passage, especially verses 4 and 5. Let me read them again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Um, This is uh, what Jewish folks know as the Shema. That word here in verse 4, the the Hebrew word for here is Shema. So it begins Shema Yisrael. So you may have heard of the Shema before. This is the Shema. Uh, Everyone in scripture is in agreement, Moses, Jesus, Paul, all the others, that this is the most important commandment in all of scripture. And it is also the foundation of all the other commandments, along with the command to love neighbor as yourself. All the other commandments are just practical outworkings of this fundamental command to love. And so today, I want to talk about this fundamental command to love And then I want to talk about, actually spend most of our time talking about an interesting dynamic of how we actually become people who love God the way we're being called to love him in this passage, all right? So I want to sit with these, those two verses for about five minutes, and then I want to look at verses six and nine and look at this really interesting dynamic that I see, all right? So verse six and nine, or or verse, sorry, four and five, um, notice there's a statement in verse four. And then verse 5, I think, is a response or a command that comes out of that statement. And you'll see that a lot in Scripture. Scripture will give us a statement, this is the truth. In light of that, here's how you're supposed to live, all right? So the statement, I want to make, make a couple 
notes about the connection between the statement and the response. Here's the statement. First thing about it is this. The Lord our God, this is verse 4. The Lord our God, he is what? He is one, right? We're learning something about our God that he is one. And of course, in this ancient polytheistic culture, that is what they needed to know. Where all these nations around them worship many different gods. They were invited into this relationship with Yahweh, who was one God. And they're invited into a worldview where they believe there actually is only one God. And he is the maker of all things, maker of heaven and earth, things seen and unseen. There is only one God, and he is Yahweh. And so what is the appropriate response to the fact that there's this one God? Well, here's the response in verse 5. Love this one God with everything you've got, okay? with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. You you don't need to be divided among various gods in your love. There's only one of them. So you want to give that one God all of who you are, your affection, your devotion, your attention, your commitment, your obedience. Um, I love the, uh, the, the word strength there, love the Lord your God with your strength. That word in that form only shows up twice in Scripture. It shows up oftentimes as an adverb, and it's translated as an adverb as very. Like, and they went, and it was very hot, or it was very cool, or whatever. It only shows up twice as a noun, and it's actually really hard to know how to translate. And a literal translation would be to love the Lord your God with your veriness. Like, with your veriness. Love him with your veriness. With all that you are and all that you have, there's only one God. And so you want to give this one God everything you've got. Your emotions, your intellect, your will, your life. So clearly we're being invited to love a God who doesn't just want to be loved, for instance, from 1030 to 1145 on Sunday mornings. Right? No, he wants to be loved in our comings and our goings, in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our relationships. He wants to be loved in every single way. One God, love him with all you got. And then the other connection I want to make between the statement and the response is this other little word in verse 4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, here's the word, our God is one. And then in verse 5, love the Lord, your God. Moses is saying, this is not just the God out there. This is our God. This is your God. This is a personal God who didn't just make all things though he did, but he entered into your life and changed you. For the ancient Israelites, this was the God who heard your cries in Egypt and stepped down to rescue you. And he rescued you from slavery and he brought you into an intimate, personal covenant relationship. He became your God. For us today, we would say this God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our slavery to sin and its consequences, and who, who filled us with his spirit and who wants to walk with us daily. This is a personal God. And so the response is this. He wants you to love him in a personal, deep way. Verse 5 says, with your heart, with your soul. Okay, the heart and the soul, those are these inner parts of you, your core, your inmost being. He doesn't just want you to to love him externally, right, in some sort of external ways. No, he wants that love to be deep inside of you. And really all that love is, is it's a response to the love that he's given you. He rescued you, and so he wants you now to love him back. You're not initiating love with this God. You're simply responding to his love with love back, right? 
we love because he first loved us. So this is a God who is one and who is a personal God who has rescued you, entered into your life. And so he wants you to love him with all that you are in the core of your being. I think that's the essence of the Shema, right? So before I move on, I just want to stop for a second. And I I want you just to, to hear that command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I know that's very familiar. That's the most familiar of all commands. But I just want to stop today and, and remind ourselves, or let me remind you, this right here is why you were made. Like verse 4 and 5, this is the purpose of your being. Behind every other purpose of your life, this is the deepest purpose. And all the writers in Scripture are agreed on that. You were made for love. At the bottom of your being, you were made to experience love and you were made to give that love to your God and then also to one another. That is undoubtedly God's goal for your life. And I don't know, you know, how when you wake up in the morning, like um, what your goals are for the day, how you think about what you hope to accomplish in a day, or as you look back at the end of a week and you think back, like what made this week a successful week or a hard week or a bad week. But I promise you what God's goal for you every day and what makes for a successful week in God's perspective is this. Did you love him? Were you committed to him and devoted to him? Did you respond and were you awake to his love for you? And then did you respond to that love in all that you did? That is why we exist, okay? Unarguably, scripture is so clear from cover to cover. That is why we exist. And so I just want you to sit with that today and go, yeah, I was made for love. Beyond whatever else I was made for, I was made for love. To receive and to give love by my God. So if, if that's kind of the essence of things, what I want to spend the t- our time doing today is ask, okay, so how do we become lovers of God? Like, how does that actually happen? How do we become people who love God from the heart and with our soul and with all of our variness? How does that happen in life? And I want to look at verse 6 uh, through 9 in a, a really interesting uh, dynamic that I see there. And... Um, yeah, there's so many dynamics. Uh, I, was, I said this the first service. There's about 10 sermons to be preached in verse 6 through 9. I'm going to preach one of them today. Um, this is the dynamic that hit me this week. If you caught me in a different week, I might preach a different sermon. Um, but let me, read, it, it, let me read 6 through 9 again. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So here's the dynamic that I see. First, you have this command in verse 6 that these commandments are to be on your what? Hearts, right? That is to say they're to be internal, deep. You're living this out from the inside out. These are not merely to be external commands. These aren't things you just pay lip service to in conversations, right? These aren't things you just make clothes that say, yeah, I'm doing this, or you just write on your walls. No, these are on your hearts. This is a deep heart commitment is what God wants. So that's what verse 6 says. But then in verse 7 through 9, Moses gives a bunch of what I would call externals, (laughs) 
a bunch of external practices and things that you do in order to make that happen. Actually, I do want you, he says in verse 7, to give lip service to these things. I want you to talk about them all the time throughout the different times of the day. These are things I want you to actually wear on your body. These are things I want you to actually write in your homes and on your city gates, okay? I want the heart, not the externals, and I'm asking you to do a bunch of externals. In fact, I want you to pursue a comprehensive lifestyle through actions and relationships and conversations and disciplines and practices and rhythms, you seeing all that? Through which your heart might be shaped into a certain kind of thing so that you are a person, you are a people who love the Lord your God from the heart and with all your heart and soul and strength. So here's the dynamic. My goal for you, God is saying, is I want you to love me from the heart. And in order to do that, I want you to commit yourself to a series of things in your life, I'll call them externals, that might shape your heart and cultivate something in you so that you grow and grow in your love for me. Because there's something about the heart that we need to always remember. Look at verse 12. Look what it says about the human heart. Be careful that you do not, what? Forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And that command is is all over Deuteronomy. Don't forget what God has has, has done. And that's the thing about the human heart is it so easily forgets. It's so fickle. It's so quickly distracted. And God is saying, I am after your heart. That's what I want but I want you to commit to a type of lifestyle so that that easily distracted and forgetful heart will be cultivated into something that continues to love me with deeper and deeper passion and commitment and devotion. So I want to give you an image, um, a a metaphor that I think is helpful in this, this dynamic. Um, This comes from a book. Uh, Our elders have read this. Our staff have read this book. So this is stuff we talk about all the time. But it's the image of a uh, a vine and a trellis, okay? And there's actually a book called The Trellis and the Vine. So some of you have yards, some of you have gardens, some of you have something like this somewhere in your, in your yard, right? So you've got a trellis. Uh, the trellis is the support structure. It is an organized structure intended to support a vine. There is absolutely no life in a trellis. The, li- the trellis doesn't produce fruit. It doesn't grow. It is there to support the vine. Yes? Great, you guys are listening. Perfect, Okay. Uh, And then you have the vine, of course. And the whole purpose is the vine. And the vine is where the life is, where the growth is. The vine is the thing that produces the fruit. The vine needs a trellis to support it, but the whole point is the vine. So there's two dangers you can run into in a garden. One would be to have this, like, epic trellis, this immaculate, beautifully painted or stainless steel trellis in your backyard that has no vine on it, okay? The whole purpose of a trellis is to grow a vine. That would be a danger. The other danger would be that you have this vine that is pretty ready to, to grow and thrive, but it has no structure to support it. It's just lying on the ground, and there's, there's no structure. What you want, right, is to have a trellis that is perfectly designed to facilitate the growth of a vine. That's, that's the goal. So hopefully the metaphor is pretty obvious, okay, right? So let me just tell it to those of you that are having a harder time with it. Um, um, so... The vine in Deuteronomy 6 it is our 
is a life-giving covenant relationship with God, right? The vine is becoming people who love God from the heart. It's loving the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and strength. That is the vine. That's where the life is. Uh, In new covenant language, we would say the vine is is when the spirit-inspired word of God works in our hearts and our minds and leads to transformation. And the fruit of the spirit is producing us love and joy and peace, right? Jesus, of course, uses the analogy of a vine. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. I want you to remain in me, stay connected to me. If you do, you will bear fruit. So the vine is is that abiding relationship with Jesus, God at work in our lives through his word, through his spirit, changing us from the inside out. And then the trellis then is is the structures and rhythms that we put in place in our lives in order to support that relationship with God, right? So uh, it could be how we organize our time, some of the daily rhythms that we engage in in order to pursue our relationship with God, some of the weekly rhythms we pursue. It could be our relationships, what relationships we have in place and how we pursue those relationships, how we engage one another in those relationships as a way of growing in our relationship with God. It could be our physical environment, what, what we put up in our homes. It could be the inputs that we take in each day and how those can help support our relationship with God. It's the practices, the habits, the disciplines, the rhythms, the structures that are in place in order to foster that relationship. And just with a, as with a garden, there are two dangers in the spiritual life, okay? The first danger is this, I'll give you an image of it, would be to have an immaculate trellis in place, a beautiful religious trellis in place with almost no vine growing. And, and every day to go out and like, you know what I need to do? I see the problem. I need to re-sand that trellis. That's the problem here. I'm going to restain that thing, refurbish that thing. And I go out every day and I work on that trellis, work on that trellis. I actually never water the vine, but I've, I've got an epic trellis, okay? So that was, that was the danger that the first century Pharisees fell into, right? They had this amazing spiritual trellis in place. They prayed five times a day, right? They fasted regularly. They went to synagogue every Saturday. They, they observed Sabbath in their, their way every, every, every week. They uh, read their scriptures and studied their scriptures daily. They memorized vast portions of scriptures. They had all this trellis in place, and yet there was so little vine. Jesus looks at all this spiritual trellis, and he says, you know what? For all of that spiritual work, you guys, are, you guys don't love God, <laughs> In the end, you are not lovers of God. You are lovers of self. And the reason was they approached the trellis, all of that work, not from a place of faith and dependency, but from a place of pride and self-reliance. And so all that did was build up their own spiritual pride. Didn't lead to being loving people. That is always a danger. Uh, And then the other danger, of course, would be to have this vine without any trellis. To have something where, gosh, there's some life here. There's some potential here. But, man, this just needs, it needs some intentional structure in place to help this thing thrive. And this is just my own opinion, okay? This is not scripture. But in my own personal opinion, I think this is the greater danger currently in the American church today. Okay? And we could disagree with that, uh, on that. But as I look around the church, especially in Southern California where we are in this time, especially with, my, I would say, my age group and below, this is the danger. Like, we're, we're all about the heart. Uh, you know, we, we want to be authentic. That's like the, 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 
the primary value is we want to be authentic, and we kind of associate that with spontaneity and freedom from structures and those sorts of things. And we're like, yeah, we're, we're, like, we're loving God from the heart. We're not going to buy into that legalistic stuff. Um, but the problem is um, the vine needs a structure to truly thrive. It just does. That's just how our hearts are wired. And so if we say, I want to be a lover of God from the heart, but in terms of our actual trellis, what we actually do every week is we wake up every day, and the first thing we do is we go to our phones and we start checking our, our news feed and our, you know, our YouTube, whatever we want to watch there. And we get up, we, we, we go, to lunch, uh, go to work all day, we come home, we have dinner, and then we watch four hours of television, then we go to sleep. We do that five days a week. And then on the weekends, we, you know, we watch six hours of television, and we walk, go to a couple sports games, we see a couple friends, we go to church from 10.30 to 11.45. If like, like, that's what we actually do with our lives, um, it is, there's a very slim chance that our hearts will develop into hearts that truly love God with heart, mind, soul, strength. The heart needs the structure. The point is the heart, not the structure, but the heart needs the structure. So what I want to do today is, is, is leave you with thinking about that dynamic between the heart and the structure. And I think that's what Deuteronomy 6 verses 6 through 9 is trying to get at. So here's the question that I want you to, I want to leave you with, and I want to tease this out before I step down here, but um, is this, are we organizing our lives in such a way, that's a trellis, comment, right? Are we organizing our lives in such a way that we are setting our hearts up well to truly love and be devoted and committed to God? As I look at the way my life is structured and organized, would I say it's set up in a way to do that? And as I pursue those structures, am I pursuing those structures for the point of actually loving God rather than just pursuing the structures themselves? So, um, Full disclosure, I think the reason that this was the sermon I wanted to preach this week is because I've been thinking about this issue a lot in lots of areas of my life. Like I'm thinking about this in my marriage right now, in this life stage, as my wife's like, um, um, you know, you know we, we, um, we've been having regular conversations with friends about marriage lately, friends that are in our, our life stage. And the, the conversation is, how are you guys staying connected with each other. Like, how do you, you know, it was easy when we first got married and we'd come home from work together and we had three hours together before we go to bed. That's easy to connect. Now we've got these three kids. And how are you guys doing that? Like, what are the, what are the ways you're finding to cultivate your relationship and, and stay connected with one another? Um, are those date nights? Are those coffee times in the morning? You know, what, what does that look like? And I, I had a, a great conversation with a good friend of mine who, um, who's just coming out of, I'd say, one of his harder years of marriage, just in terms of being connected. Um, but they got this little word of advice. Uh, one of their friends said, hey, what if you just got up, what if you just took a, like a walk around the block in the morning together? And their kids are just old enough that they can do that. I don't know if we can even legally do that yet, you know, with a, <laughs> with a three-year-old. But um, so they started, they started just walking around the neighborhood. And sometimes it's a 10-minute walk. Sometimes it's a 40-minute walk. But that little thing, he said, has absolutely revolutionized their relationship. It's like absolutely radically changed their sense of connection and, and commitment and, and just enjoyment of one another. It's just a trellis, right? It's, just a, it's a form. It's a structure. But it's, it, God has used that simple thing to breathe life and reinvigorate 
um, their relationship. So I'm thinking about this a lot in terms of marriage. I'm thinking about this in terms of our, our children as well. And those of you who have raised children or, or currently have kids in the home, right? This is a similar conversation. Like, hopefully, our, our biggest goal for our kids is that they would turn into those who love God with their heart, soul, and strength. And, and we know there are other goals we have for our kids too, connected with school or sports or work and all of that. But hopefully underneath all those, and even more important than all those, is, man, if in the end our kids, we can help them love God, that's, that's the goal. That's the ultimate goal. We can't control it, but hopefully that's what happens. So what are, how do we do family in ways that help facilitate that for our children? And we're having those conversations. Is it, is it dinner time? Is that, do, you guys, do you guys commit to dinner around the table together? Is that your place of connection point as a family? Um, is it when the kids are going to bed? Um, is it when they wake up? Um, for some, it's car time. Car time is like, you know, my kids got a seatbelt on. They can't get out of the car. That's, that's like my chance. And going to school, and that, those are our best places to connect. Um, I think if verse 7 was written in today's context, it would say, you know, when you sit and when you drive in your car, right? Talk about these things. Um, but how do, we, how do we do this as a family in hopes that they might become lovers of God, right? And what I'm learning about kids is, you know, we always think that kids love spontaneity and freedom, and they do. But kids also crave structure, and they, they actually crave ritual and traditions in, in the right sense of those words. They, and, and our kids sometimes, when we have certain things that we do weekly, if we kind of are off script on that, they'll like say something like, hey, aren't we supposed to be doing this? Like they look forward to it and they, and they want that. So all that to say, I'm thinking about this a lot in my life in general, in, in my marriage, in my family. How does the heart connect with the choices we make of our, of our daily lives. And so I want to leave you with that question today in relationship to your life with God. Um, how can you organize your life in such a way that you're helping to cultivate a heart that truly loves God and a mind that loves God and a life that is devoted and committed to him, okay? And I'm going to leave you with some options. I'm going to throw out a bunch of things right now. I'm encouraging you, just pick one, okay? No one's going to change their life all in one, one moment. But maybe there's one thing today that you go, yep, that, I think that's, that would be helpful as I think about where my life with God is right now. All right, so I want to leave you with, with this, uh, two questions. The first one is this. What trellis do I currently have in place in my life to help me pursue God? Now, all of you have one trellis that I know you do. At least today, you come to church on Sundays. You're all here. That's a trellis. Um, but what other trellis do you have? For some of us, we need to think about, how about my individual personal trellis? Uh, when you rise, what do you do when you wake up in the morning? And what could you do that would help facilitate that relationship with God? And I can tell you this, in this culture we're living in right now, if what you did when you woke up was to, t- to spend literally 10 minutes at the beginning of your day and read the word of God and spend five minutes after that in prayer, that would be a radically countercultural statement given how people live their lives today. As simple as that seems, that's a radical countercultural statement in today's world. But that's a trellis to pursue. How about when you lie down? At the end of your day, there's an opportunity to do something that facilitates your relationship with God. Maybe it's just, a, a, just to look back on your day. God, where did, I, where did I see evidence of your grace in my life today? And I just want to 
I want to stop and pause at the end of my day and just give you thanks. Maybe I want to look back. Where, what are ways where I kind of turned away from you and did my own thing? Well, okay, that's, that's an opportunity to confess again and be reminded of your, your grace towards me. As you go, um, car time is a great time to be with the Lord um, as you're with 50,000 other people as well on the freeways. But that's an opportunity to uh, engage the Lord in various ways. There's all sorts of ways you can do that. Or throughout the day, right? As you're just going between responsibilities and appointments, there's ways to, to just go, God, as I move into this next meeting, you know, I want to I do this in a way that honors you. I want to do this independence on you. It's just these little touch points with God. There's daily rhythms that we can have in our lives. And then there's weekly rhythms, right? Sabbath is a great opportunity. I, I'm going to take a day a week just to, to really intentionally slow down, to, to spend time resting, enjoying God, enjoying his creation, enjoying family and friends. Um, that's something we can do. Uh, and then there's going to be things that are unique to every single one of us because each one of us is wired differently. And, and we all have to figure out what are those ways that are just particularly life-giving for me and my relationship with God. For some of you, music and worship is that. Like, just being able to be in my car and be listening and, and singing along with these songs, that's such a great way that helps cultivate my heart. Um, some of you, nature. For me, that's, it's being out in God's creation and experiencing him through that. Some of you, it's service. I, I need to be out serving. That's why I really uh, I, I experience God. So finding what those are. I'm going to move quickly through these. Um, there's relational trellis in our lives, right? Um, what are those spiritual friendships that I have in my life? Who are those people that when I'm with them, gosh, they just draw me closer to Jesus. Like, it's just good for me to be around them. And how can I have a regular uh, commitment to them? And how can we make our conversations rich and fruitful together? I already talked about family. How do we navigate our family in ways that will help us thrive together towards, towards the Lord? Um, I might pursue certain small groups. It could be at, a, at this church or beyond this church. But I, I want to be in the word with other believers who want to be in the word and want to live it out together. Do I have things in place that are helping me not just do this on my own, but um, do this with others? Of course, the church context Sunday morning is a, is a trellis. Uh, and then one other thought is, you know, I've, I've given a bunch of internal trellises, but it's worth thinking about what are these external um, practices, habits that I can engage in? Um, am I regularly practicing hospitality? Are, are we thinking about who can we be just bringing into our homes or bringing into our lives? Who, who needs a, a touch point that we are just regularly doing that as an expression of, of love to, to God? Um, opportunities of service, opportunities of generosity, okay? These are all these, they're just structures. There's no life in any of these things. They don't themselves grow us. Only the Spirit grows us. But these are great ways to, to support what the Spirit is doing in us. And so my, my challenge to you is just pick one thing. As you look at your life right now and you go, gosh, I think this one thing, it could be something so small. But you say, this is something I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage in this month. As, as th- there's no life in the thing, but as a way to engage my Lord, this, as I think about my life, this would be something good for me to more intentionally pursue. All right? And then, here's the other question. I'll leave you with this one. So those are, um, that's weird. Oh, okay, there we go. The other is to actually look at the trellis that's already in your life, the, the, whatever those things are, and ask the question, is that trellis actually growing the vine? 
Like I'm doing this stuff. I'm doing this religious stuff. Is it actually doing what God is talking about here? Ah, there we go. Uh, Am I approaching my trellis with the goal of loving God from the heart? Okay, so you think about that. Like um, many of you do engage in a morning quiet time. It's worth just taking stock and going like, so what's actually happening in that time for me right now? Um, Is that just like a, you know, a box that I check every morning, say I, I read it, I just kind of read and oh, that's a good idea and I just move on? Or am I actually doing that as a way to pursue my relationship with God, to be more devoted to him, to, to connect more intimate, to understand his will for my life? Like, is that actually a life-giving thing or am I just kind of going through the motions? Um, it could be, you know, a small group that you're a part of. And you might look at a small group and go, gosh, we've been in this small group together for seven years now, for 10 years now. Uh, is anybody grown anymore? Like, like, what's happening every Wednesday night when we get together or whatever that is? Like, are we just kind of just hanging together? Or, or, like, are we growing in Christ together? What's going on? Does that, does that group need new life brought into it? Do we need to just kind of step back and acknowledge, gosh, guys, we got we to gotta kind of change the way we're doing this. Or this time here, right? This is, this is the most well-known, popular trellis in Christendom in, in America right now, right? Sunday morning church. And you might look and go, gosh, I've, I've been coming to church. I've been doing this just because I'm supposed to do this. But what's happening here for you? Is this, is this facilitating your relationship with the Lord and you committing yourself more deeply to him? How are you engaging how are you engaging as we sing songs? How are you engaging one another? How are you engaging as we open the word? And maybe you go, gosh, I, I think I need to kind of step into this room a little differently um, in this, in this you know, next season. So I, I would challenge you to pick one. I already said, what's one thing you want to, one trellis you want to bring into your life? And here's, what's one that's already in your life that you think, gosh, I think this needs new life. This, this needs the breath of the Spirit of God to, to breathe new life in this. And you just want to say, God, I want to I acknowledge what's happened in this area, and I'm asking you to breathe new life into this. So for me, this one, I'll end with this, is, um, is my time with the Lord in the mornings. Um, I don't know how you'll feel about this. You'll probably judge me for this or think it's cheesy. But So this summer, um, I'm, I'm keeping a feelings journal in the mornings. Uh, the reason is because I'm a robot, um, uh, ask my wife, uh, and um, so what I do, I, I, when I read scripture, I love to think about ideas, I love to see the connections, so I, I do that, and I'm also a pleaser by nature, so then I move pretty quickly to, okay God, so this is what you want me to do, okay, so how do I do that, right? Here's the idea, I want to implement that, that's just my natural wiring, and I'm realizing there's, a, there's an intermediate step in there which is actually to bring my heart before the Lord and go, what do I actually feel about what I'm reading? And how does that sit with me, for better or for worse? And what I'm discovering is, oh, there's some stuff under there. Like, I actually don't like that story very much. Or I'm not sure I'm very good at following that command. Chances are, actually, I probably won't follow that command. I'm pretending like I'm a pleaser, so I'm going to try. But God, I don't know if I can do that on my own. And so it's raising some interesting stuff. And the goal is not for me to communicate my feelings. The goal is, is to invite God more deeply into, into my life. And it's, it is bringing new life into my time with the Lord. It's actually been very interesting um, and beautiful. And I'm finding myself 
and, and greater places of dependency on the Lord. As, as, I, as I'm more honest with myself, like, actually, I could tell you I'm going to do that, but I can't do that unless you're going to give me the strength. So, okay. So I'm singing the song more. I, I need you, Lord. I'm realizing I've been trying to do this on my own. I, who am I kidding? I can't do this on my own. I need you. So that's one thing that I'm trying to summer. It's bearing fruit. All right, so that's it. I know that was a lot. God is asking us to love him. And all that is is simply to respond to the love that we have already received from him. And so how can we, how can we commit to a life where we're cultivating that kind of love with him and cooperating with him so that he can do the work that he wants to do in us? Let's pray. Lord, as we hear the most basic and central command in all of Scripture that's so familiar, would you, uh, even as we sing now and even as we go about our week, take that and have your spirit take that and plant it deep in us that we would know again that we are made for love and that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And, and what you want from us is our love and commitment and devotion and passion right back towards you with all that we got. And I pray even right now, as we think about, gosh, is there one or two things that might help facilitate that, that your spirit would maybe even right now, like bring something to mind, something that, um, you, that would be good, that would help move us into that place, uh, that, that direction of, of being devoted to you in some more intentional way. So tell us, help us. Help us be thoughtful about what that could be. And, and as we also look at the things we're already doing, and maybe you need to convict us. Maybe you need to confront us with where we're just kind of going through the motions. And uh, or we're doing it in our own strength. And we need to be reminded of the gospel, that this is not about what we do for you, but it's, it's all about who you are, what you do for us and what you do in us. And so maybe you want to breathe new life into some old forms. And we, we invite you to do that. We want to get out of the way, so to speak, in order to let you do that. So Lord, lead us, shepherd us in this relationship with yourself, not just as individuals, but as, as families and as a church family today, that we become people who are growing in our love for you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.